0: This episode is brought to you by JScreen, help prevent cancer and genetic diseases in your family. JScreen now offers CancerGen, a state-of-the-art test that analyzes the BRCA genes and over 60 other cancer susceptibility genes. This test can be life-saving, and JScreen's ReproGen test screens for over 200 genetic diseases such as Tay-Sachs and cystic fibrosis. Genetic testing for reproductive risk can save your baby's life. Both tests are done confidentially from the comfort of your home on saliva and telehealth genetic counseling is included. Visit jscreen.org to request your screening kit and claim $50 off either of these tests, Reprogen or CancerGen, with the code JLP50 at checkout at jscreen.org. Offer expires 12-31-2021 and applies to those residing in the U.S. This episode is brought to you by Meet to Marry. If you're sick of attracting the wrong people, wasting time on dead-end relationships, and wondering how other areas of your life can be so great while your dating life is so, well, uh, disappointing, then it's time to try a radically new approach to call in the loving, lasting, healthy relationship of your dreams. Start doing that today by signing up for the free masterclass, the five powerful shifts to quit attracting the wrong man and finally summon your soulmate at meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. That's meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. Jewish Money Matters, episode 214, Hannah and Dave Mason, authors of The Cash Machine you're listening to jewish money matters the podcast where jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business money is a means to serve god in this world with joy to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world i want you to discover the secrets to jewish wealth to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, I have the amazing power duo, Hannah and Dave Mason, entrepreneurs independently on their own right. Hannah and Dave also work together. Their latest work is the novel, The Cash Machine, which we've talked a little bit about um, on the show when Hannah was here last discussing another one of her books, Hold That Thought. Today, we dive into the idea behind The Cash Machine a little bit more. and More importantly, we get to understand the Mason own personal journey with money, the financial growth that led them to even write this book and to now be teaching what they've learned to others. They define their mission as learn, grow, teach, and they do that out of the Nahlaot neighborhood of Jerusalem or wherever their financial ability to be mobile allows them to. Last time at Hakana teaching one of my online programs as a guest um, presenter, she taught my students from a beautiful place in South Africa. and We were all marveling at the view. Hannah is a coach and public speaker, helping students manifest their dreams and live healthier, more energetic lives. And her home on the web is at HannahMason.com. Dave is a rabbi and the owner of Knobs.co, an online cabinet hardware store. We talk about what financial freedom means to them, the wake-up calls that let them to embark on a journey to define that for themselves and pursue it. Lessons learned along the way, how they manage money as a couple, the challenges that they see most often in their students, the investments that they focused on, and those that they're looking into to to dive into more, as well as their latest online program that they're running together, Money Mindset Challenge. Their greatest wish is that you learn key lessons in their books, incorporate them into your life and inspire others. And so with that, I leave you with an awesome conversation with a power duo, Hannah and Dave Mason. Dave and Hannah Mason, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. How are you guys? Doing fabulous. It's great to be here.
1: It's always it's, great to have a conversation
0: with you. It's so fun. You're one of my favorite couples, power duo. I mean, Dave, you don't know this, but Hannah and I, or maybe you do know this, but Hannah and I have talked extensively about, about money. Not only has she been on the show before, but she's been so wonderful to come, I think, twice to my online programs and talk to my students and not just talk to them, wow them, help them through all the you know mindset blocks and how to think of you know think healthier can we say that have better relationship with our thoughts so it's so great to have you both because I know that you're both on a journey on a mission as you describe it to learn teach to learn grow and teach and one of the areas in which you've done a lot of learning and growing and teaching is actually in the area of money and finance um, you've written a book together, which we've mentioned here on the show, The Cash Machine, one of my favorite books. Yes, yes. Awesome book. You've put online courses together. You coach people individually also in this area. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Are you up for this? Yeah, totally. Amazing. So I thought a great place to start, guys, would be since you've you have defined your mission so beautifully, learn, grow, teach. Why don't we start with the learning the growth And the growth that happened in the area of money management and financial literacy your relationship with money that then has prompted you to educate so many um in this regard was that something that that learning was prompted individually? Did it start together as a couple? What what led you in this financial self-help, if you will, learning?
1: So it was definitely something we did as a couple with both of us making really poor individual choices that came together into a massive financial mess (laughs) for our family. Mm -hmm. And we both came into our marriage with a whole bunch of preconceived notions about money, about wealth, about wealthy people. And th- all of these assumptions, they were, they were basically living in the subconscious. We didn't even realize they were there. And they seemed so, um, like truths of reality as though it was gravity that we just use them to drive all of our behavior and drive our choices without even questioning them or thinking them or talking about them. Because why do you need to talk about gravity? Everybody knows it's there. It's like not something you need to discuss. Mm -hmm. But it turned out I had a whole bunch of beliefs that were driving my behavior. And Dave had some similar but some different beliefs that were driving his behavior. And our beliefs were leading us to make really poor financial choices. And a lot of times those came from fear. My family fled Colombia when I was five years old. And I I lost my home. And so for me, replacing a home and having a home that I owned that gave me a lot of security was really, really important. And to hell with how much it costs or what Mm -hmm. it was going to do to our finances. And it was it was it came from like a place of fear. And it's not good to make financial choices from fear. But a lot of times we do that. Mm -hmm. And we both really were uncomfortable with building wealth and wanted to just take care of everyone else. And that led Dave into some of his business choices.
2: Exactly. And I was at a place where my business was doing really well for quite a while. We're actually bringing in a ton of money Mm -hmm. and we were doing fine until we were Making more money than we needed. As long as we were just getting by, we were doing great. The business was growing, growing steadily. But then we started making twice what we needed, three times, four times. And that's when I started feeling really uncomfortable because I didn't know what to do with all this excess money. And I felt greedy having so much mm-hmm. when so many people I knew had so little. And so I felt like, okay, well, you know, the highest way to give Sadaka is to give someone a job. Why don't I hire a lot of these people in my community? And I'd hire people I didn't need and mm-hmm. then give them really poor management because I didn't actually need them to do anything. And I took a very streamlined, easy to run company and made it big, fat, bloated thing That was incredibly stressful and the business was just wow. losing a ton of money. And this together with the house issues that we ran into, I think one of our biggest issues was when we were growing up, money was somewhat a taboo subject. Yeah. Now, I remember, I you know my parents had certain friends who they'd mentioned, you know, were really wealthy and I'd, I, you know, I'd want to go up to them and ask them, well, how much do you have? How do you get? how do you get it? Where did it come from? And those, my parents were like, no, 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 you don't walk up and say that. You don't talk about money. Right. It's not a polite subject to be bringing up. Now, you're obviously with a spouse, it makes a lot of sense to be talking about it, but mm. there's no magic switch that you flip when you get married, that you're suddenly right. taking a subject that you have no comfort talking about. And it suddenly becomes comfortable because it should be. Exactly. We didn't have the language. We didn't have the, the comfort and our communication around money was really poor. Mm. We didn't even have the same meanings behind the same terms necessarily. And so we were both flailing. And sometimes like with the house, I want giving in to a lot of things that Hannah wanted because I felt like pressure and I didn't want to be fighting over it. And I wanted to be a good husband and a good provider, but we made really dumb choices and got ourselves in a lot of debt that was then very stressful to be digging ourselves out of.
1: It's interesting because in the business, I did the same thing. I, I, you know, I studied business. I worked in management consulting and I would look at Dave's business and I was like, something's not okay. And I would ask him, can we take a look at your books? And he would say, no, there's, there's so much blessing in what is hidden. And so he wouldn't let me see his books, but he also really, he wasn't looking at the books because, you know, it was just too embarrassing. It was too awkward. And so none, neither of us was really questioning each other's financial decisions because it was just, there was so much discomfort. It was one of the things that motivated us to make this book a relationship book, not just a book where people can learn about money. We wanted it to be a novel that's at its core a love story where two people are trying to figure out can they be in relationship. Because we see that at the center of a lot of people's financial woes, there's a relationship involved. Yes. There's other people involved.
0: Yes. It sounds to me like you've described a typical couple. I mean, it's like every couple we know kind of operates in a very similar way. So why don't you help us, um, get into the initial, cause now you're starting to recognize the problem, which is already way advanced. Most people just. You know, the problem is there and we just, just keep at it and, you know, spinning in the hamster wheel, right? Um, you start recognizing that there's an area of work, of growth here. So what were those initial conversations like? What were those initial shifts like? Because, you know, I, I, I can only imagine there's a lot of, Discomfort and yet handholding, and we can get through this. There's, there's, there's a big shift that has to happen, and very often people don't want to go into that space, even though we all know in this virtual room that there's so much growth as a couple on the other side of that space. So, take us, take us there a little bit.
2: So, what's interesting about us is that we're novelists. We write books, and we write books together. Mm. And so, you know, if you look at most money books, they're written by money experts. People who've been Mm. in financial experts for 20 years. And they're usually in very narrow areas because most financial experts are in very have a very narrow area of expertise. But really got to the point of once we kind of talked to each other and acknowledge that a lot of our money woes came from the fact that we just didn't understand what we were doing. We never got a solid education and we were really just flailing out there and trying to figure things out, but really not even knowing having a strong basis for doing so. Mm-hmm. that's when it was first me. And then the two of us started writing the cash machine before we knew anything about money, Is because that, we found that like writing a novel on a topic just makes you dive so deep into that subject and learn everything about it. So the cash machine was the vehicle for learning. It wasn't the product of being an expert. It was a wow. product of being really ignorant and being knocked down by our lack of money understanding and saying, okay, we need to get an education, And if we needed to get an education only for our particular circumstances, it would have taken like this much effort. But to write a book that anybody can pick up and read and they can learn things about their own circumstances, we need to get this much education. So the Mm. cash machine was the driver. You know, we always say in Judaism, that if there's a good question, you're going to learn something much better than if you're just opening up a text and reading it on its own. So because we were writing this book, we had all these questions like, okay, in, in this circumstance, what would somebody do in this circumstance? What would somebody do whether they applied to us or not? And it really forced us just to learn a tremendous amount.
0: Amazing. So what would you say of all the things that you've learned and mastered? Um, would you say were those that you've really seen as they move the needle that you've, you're implementing them in your life, and you saw like, you know, of all the, you know, there's, there's a plethora of things that we can talk about when it comes to finances. Right. But then there's the things that we're particularly fans of, because when we implemented, we saw that they really helped our relationship. They, They, they helped our bank statements. They helped us in such a complete way. What would you say for the Masons or some of those things? So I would say two things.
1: One, and I'm very much a mindset person. It's a huge thing that I help people with in my coaching practice. So it's a little bit my bias. Mm -hmm. The number one thing is that a couple have a very clear vision for their money. And this is also true for individuals. So Dave and I run this money mindset challenge and it's for individuals, but people can also do it as a couple. And in either situation, if you have a very clear vision for your money, that drives absolutely everything else. So the same is true if you have a mission statement for your life or if there's a mission statement for a corporation. So if a company has a mission statement, that drives every single choice they make from from then forward. Um, And so That's the number one thing. And for us personally, we chose financial independence as our mission. And it drives every single financial choice we make. It literally has shaped the way I see the world. Mm -hmm. And had we known about financial independence as an option when we first got married, it would have been very easy for the both of us to sign up and say yes, because it's such an exciting premise. And what financial independence is, is when your passive income meaning the income that you get from investments that you don't work at, you know, it's not your active job, that that income exceeds your cost of living. And as soon as we learned about financial independence, we drove all of our financial choices to move us in that direction. Mm. And that started with the cash machine, which we only started writing like what, five years ago? Less, like four years ago. And that has totally shifted our financial picture. Like we went from being in massive debt to moving closer and closer towards financial independence, to kind of being there at this point. And that's huge. That's like to in mm-hmm. such a short period of time to totally alter our financial picture. And it's it excites us. It feels like a game because we're both moving towards a goal. And then it makes us feel like a team. And our son is also a part of it. And he's thinking in terms of financial independence and driving his financial choices and his investments in the same direction. So it's really exciting.
0: There's so much to unpack here. There's so much to unpack here. I mean, you guys. Okay. First of all, let's go back. Let's take a few steps back to the first thing you said, Hannah, about the vision, right? We had to get, you know, a couple has to get really clear on their vision for their money. And you guys did that. But how does a couple even get there? Like for somebody reading and saying, well, I don't, like you guys mentioned, I don't know how to talk to my husband about money. We hardly, we we hardly do it. We avoid it. Anytime we do it, it's explosive. Like now you're telling me I have to get clear on my vision. I don't know myself. I don't know for him. How can, you know, how does a person bridge that?
2: Great question. So one thing we've started doing recently, because Really, it wasn't just that we were in financial distress early in our marriage. The financial stress caused the biggest loss of shalom bite of anything we've experienced in our marriage. Mm -hmm. It was definitely brought on the biggest struggles we've had in our marriage. And we feel like this is something that we can help other people with. And so we've had a practice recently that we start inviting over every new couple in our community that gets married. We invite them over for dinner and we just sit and talk to them about our personal story and our struggle and how not being on the same page about money really sent off us totally off kilter and started giving them the tools to figure out their vision. Now, we explained about financial independence, but we're very clear. Financial independence does not have to be everyone's vision. Mm-hmm. We're not like a one goal fits all type family. But if you've got two people in a couple and they've got different visions, that's when there's problem. That's when there's a real problem. So we always give them a copy of the cash machine and the cash machine just is meant to cover a lot of topics. Most areas in the cash machine, you're not going to read and feel like, okay, I'm an expert. I can now go do it. It's going to expose you to a whole lot of ideas with the idea that if something really triggers you and you say, okay, this is a good idea for me, we can go deeper there. So we encourage couples actually pick up and read the cash machine together and discuss it chapter by chapter. And really find, okay, what are the areas that is speaking to me? You know, what what do you think about the financial independence thing? What do you think about this path A versus path B, the, the Anthony path versus the Dylan path, for instance, taking a few of the, the characters as as an example? And hear what each person has to say and then discuss: well, what do we want to do? And okay, how do we go and look into that together? Mm. Just bring the things that are subsurface up to the surface. In fact, one of our favorite tools for that is something we do in the very first day of Money Mindset Madness. It's a little tool that we've we've named Mason's Magical Money Magnet. And it's a quiz of just 40 questions that each one is just money is the root of all evil. Do you totally agree with that? Do you totally disagree with that? Or you somewhere in between? You just rate yourself on all these 40 beliefs. And the first time we ever took a quiz like that, actually Ari Love was with us as well. And the three of us just had such a good time going through the questions and looking at each other's answers and seeing wow you scored really high on this wow you scored really low on that and debating it and discussing it but taking all of these beliefs that were kind of beneath the surface and bringing them up so we can look at them and examine them and that is how we started dialogue
1: mm. yeah so here here we had our 11-year-old son who had the healthiest money mindset of the three of us <laughs> <laughs> and so i love uh, that. that i think I think one of the beliefs where I scored really highly was it's not fair for me to have a lot when others have less wow. and our Thomas, son looks at very into
2: fairness. Yes. <laughs>
1: very into fairness. And our son, he looks at that and he starts laughing, not in a mocking way, He just thought it was so preposterous that anyone would believe such a thing. Hmm. So he starts laughing and Dave and I look at each other and we start laughing. It's just kind of a natural outgrowth of what happened. And so it allowed us to feel very light around what could otherwise be a heavy topic. And it was also really nice because age 11 is that transition point from being a child, having all of your beliefs in the subconscious to transitioning into teenagehood and adulthood, where all of these subconscious beliefs are driving your behavior. And he was able to see that a lot of the beliefs that we were trying to feed him were garbage because Mm. we put it up above the surface and we talked about it. And he was like, that's ridiculous. And then he could see, oh, that's why my mom does this and this and this. Oh, that's, that's silly. I don't need to copy that behavior of my mother's because it's coming from a nonsensical place. I don't need to, to, to do that uncomfortable stance like my father does when he does X because that's also coming from a nonsensical place. So one one thing I noticed that I worked really hard at doing is when I give charity to have a huge smile on my face and to really look at the person I'm giving money to and engage them in conversation. That took a lot of effort on my part because really on the inside, it was immensely uncomfortable. Mm. But because I forced myself to do, you know, to, I, I faked it until I made it. And now I'm immensely like really caring about these people and engaging in conversation with the beggars I pass every day. My son learns that on the outside and it shaped his perception about beggars on the inside. He experiences no shame around beggars and he doesn't right. see them as shameful characters. So it's like every, just even just our faces and our behavior and our and our body language communicates to our kids what we're supposed to be believing around money. So just talking about money, Just saying, what do you believe about money? What do I believe about money? Just being willing to talk about it. I think the biggest thing that happens when we sit with other couples is that it's the first time for some of them that they've ever talked about money Mm -hmm. other than talking about the finances related to the wedding night itself. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, wait, it's okay to talk about. And so they start asking questions, they start saying things, they get like giggly and uncomfortable in front of each other. And it's like, great, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to open conversation. So what the book allows people to do is here, all these characters are talking with each other around money, and they feel like real people. So they give you an opening to begin to have that conversation amongst yourselves also.
0: Reproductive genetic testing before marriage has been a widely accepted practice in our community for decades. And because of this, fewer babies have been born with genetic diseases. The process really works. I've done it and so will my children one day. Please God. But with the advances in modern technology, there is even more we could be doing. And JScreen is here to help. JScreen provides affordable at-home testing and genetic counseling via telehealth. Their testing panel consists of over 200 conditions and was carefully designed with the health of the Jewish community in mind. And did you know that Ashkenazi Jewish men and women face a 1 in 40 risk of carrying mutations in the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes? This is more than 10 times the risk in the general population. When a person knows they carry one of these mutations before they develop cancer, they can take advantage of available options for medical management and cancer risk reduction. This test saves lives. Whether kids are in your future or you want to know your risk of cancer, take control. Genetic testing saves lives. Go to jscreen.org today and claim $50 off testing with the code JLP50. That's jscreen.org code JLP50. Are you sick and tired of attracting the wrong people, wasting time on dead-end relationships, and wondering how come other areas of your life can be so great while your dating life is so disappointing? Is this the year that you want all that to change? It's time to try a radically new approach. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is a definition of insanity, period. Sign up for the free masterclass, the five powerful shifts to quit attracting the wrong men and finally summon your soulmate at meettomary.com forward slash Jewish Love Masterclass. There you'll learn from Barry Lyman, founder of the Meet to Marry Method, endorsed by author and educator Steve Covey as smart, principled, and engaging. Ready for change? Ready to finally find your soulmate? You know you are. Sign up for the free masterclass at meettomary.com forward slash Jewish Love Masterclass. Yeah, what I'm hearing loud and clear is that normalizing this area of life, right? It's, it's a normal, ordinary thing that should be talked about. Just like we can say, I have a headache today. It's a beautiful day outside. Like these are, it's, it's in important and not in a heavy way in a great like this is part of life type of way you know like you know just like dating is just like all of the beauty of life there is so much in that and it should not be this taboo like you said Dave at the beginning we grew up with this topic being so taboo so and I love this idea of getting people to start the dialogue with giving them something neutral or par like a novel right like you know what let's read this book and let's talk about it you guys talk about it come back to us let's let's talk about it right it's it's super for people who are really uncomfortable, for couples who are really uncomfortable, it's definitely a great place to start because it's not personal. It's not, nobody needs to get defensive yet. You know, like hey, we're just talking about those characters in the book. We're not talking about me or you. We're not pointing fingers yet.
1: <laughs> we, we also decided to, on purpose, this was really Dave's Dave's genius. The, the characters discussing the most difficult money concepts are the most colorful characters in the book. Mm-hmm. So it really dis- discharged, what's the word? it kind of like took the charge away from this, you know. So, so the, the tax expert is this character named Vinny, who's this kind of slimy Italian American guy. You know, he talks like this and he's like, talks like this and, da, 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 and like you're like engaging with him. And so, but he's talking about taxes, right? And so, it's just such a chill way to learn about taxes because you're so busy laughing. Well, he's, he's,
2: he's talking about taxes because he's got a vendetta against the IRS and he swore he'd never give them a dime because his mom got audited when she was a kid, when he was a kid and she lost her house. So he, he's got like, it's, it's, you know, a good Italian mafia re- revenge story, but you're learning tax law through it. Mm-hmm. So it's all the ways that he has worked out how to make investments that have incredible tax benefits as well. And that's a whole aspect of investment that was so new to me when mm-hmm. I was re- researching the cash machine. I was just absolutely blown away by how, well, if I choose investment B rather than investment A, suddenly my taxes just will plummet in half. And
1: now we design all of our financial choices around that. It's amazing. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. One of the biggest changes in our lives has been seeing members of our family who were, I think they were really pitying us and looking down at our financial picture, to be honest, like behind closed doors. I'm sure that's what was happening. They've been now calling Dave to ask her financial advice. Wow. Simply because of the research that he did in writing this book. And there's more research than what's in the book itself, but there's so much content in the book itself. If you like really take notes and pay attention to every detail,
0: it's really all in there. It's amazing. Well, I think you just hit on a very important point, which is, you know, sometimes we, when we embark on this journey, most often we are probably going to go against the tide. Right. If we are a couple who all of a sudden gains the awareness that we need help in this area of life, that there has to be a better way, most likely we're going against, you know, our in-laws, our parents, our sister-in-laws, and they like, like you know, like we've been doing things the way it's been done, and we realize th- this is not working, right? And so you just you just said something pretty refreshing that suggests that if you embark in such a journey, you might be going against the tide for a while. But if you're really clear on your why on your vision on your purpose, and you stick through it, at the end of it, you really are going to be the light that's illuminating a path for other people. So you know, sometimes this can be a really great motivator. And it's, you know, First of all, it's your kids, as you mentioned, right? You'll be a light for your children. You're, you're changing the whole family dynamics and legacy and the, the mindset that's being fostered, right? For your offspring, but also those people around you at the end of the day, they are watching and they, you, you communicate a shift. There's a shift that happens. So I love that point.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to be a part of something like that.
0: So let's go to the back to the nitty gritty because you mentioned do investing in certain ways that are smarter tax wise. And obviously you also let's mention the added layer of complexity that you live in Israel, which maybe is requires even an added layer of knowledge in that regard, right? As Americans living in Israel, all that, but we're not going to get into that specifically, but I just wanted to point that. So going again to some of the things that if now we now that you said, you're sort of almost at that point of financial independence whatever that independence number you might have defined it to be right um what have been some of those wins i think it's so important to celebrate like the milestones that you feel like okay you talk about the fact that you now you can talk about money this is very important and that you have a vision aligned together but there perhaps have been other milestones that you said Wow, the fact that we did this, the fact that we put this this in place and this in place really are we have to celebrate. We have to acknowledge that this really, again, was a turning point.
2: One thing I'll point out is that the first private equity deal we ever did. So this mm-hmm. is an area of investment that we got involved into only through the cash machine. Up till then, you know, investments was largely about stock market and such. And we started looking at private invest private equity deals and our taxes. The first year we did that, our US taxes, our, our Israel taxes are a completely different story that I don't want to get into at the moment. But we we file these US taxes and we were just absolutely in shock Hmm. how investing money in a business, it created all this depreciation and just the amount of money we saved before we'd even gotten a single return we hadn't even started getting any any return from our first investment but just months after making the investment we saw the tax implications and we're like wow huge and that life
1: alteringly massive
2: and it, right we got mm. to the point of saying well, well we're almost in the in the US at least it feels like i'm investing with the government share of the money you know i make a certain amount of income certain amount is for me to keep a certain amount is for the government to keep oh but if you use a certain class of investments wow you can take that point, portion that would otherwise go to the government and that can be your investment capital and it was just completely completely... completely mind-boggling for me Mm. is how effective it was, how quickly.
1: So one thing that we did is when when we got this house that sunk us into massive debt. So we had a house that sunk us into massive debt. We had a business that sunk us into massive debt. Dave Mm -hmm. worked really hard to streamline his business. He unfortunately had to fire a bunch of people, close an office, shift a whole bunch of things, but he really streamlined the business so that it was finally profitable again. And slowly we paid off the business debts, but we're still holding on to this house that had all of this house debt. And, and we tried to figure out, is there a way we could streamline the house? Like, could we chop it up into apartments? Is there something we could do? And it just Mm. wasn't feasible with that specific property. And even though it pained us because we put a lot of love into this house, in addition to putting a lot of money into this house, we decided to sell the house. And what that did is that got us out of being in this pattern of constantly being in a debt snowball Mm. and just constantly sinking into more and more debt and not being able to grow wealth. So we sold this house and ended up not with not that much, but what we ended up with, we put into these private equity deals. And for Mm -hmm. the first time in our marriage, we saw our money growing. We saw our money making money without us having to do anything. And that was a really big deal because people don't realize how much real estate or businesses can really give you an insane return on your investment in a way that nothing else can. And it just requires a little bit of learning and it's not impossible to not so difficult to learn. It's, it's just wrapping your head around it and getting exposed to private equity opportunities. And that's what we've just consistently been, been investing in. And we'll even sometimes borrow money to invest in private equity deals because the returns are better than what we owe the bank with that borrowed money. So that's another thing like Robert Kiyosaki talks about how part of building wealth is like strategically taking on debt. Mm. There's good debt and there's bad debt. And we've been playing the good debt game really, really well. And it, it, like when we first started doing it, I'm like, ah, ah, we have like what? $25,000 invested. I was like, oh, we're never going to get anywhere. But like it grows. It really does. And it's amazing.
2: So, yeah, Dave, you had a point here. You want to say something? Yeah, so I just want to talk a bit about the financial independence idea because mm-hmm. what's for us is as much as it was a game and this challenge, can we get to this point? The closer we've gotten to it, the less important it has been for us to hit it. Yeah. And a big part of that is because we've gotten to the point where we now have all this passive income coming in from all these various investments. Mm -hmm. We also have some active income sources that we're really like and we're attached to. And we have no interest in getting rid of, for instance, Hannah's a coach. And when every time she does a coaching session, she comes out so lit up and she's like, it is so clearly like her life's work. And we have no interest in moving away from that. But now that we're so close to financial independence, we can say, okay, you know, we can spend a bit more than we were before. We can... You know, last year we were entering the lockdown during the middle of the winter here in, in Israel. And we said, you know what, let's pick up and go to South Africa and have a family vacation rather than being locked down here in the winter and really getting on each other's nerves. And so we took this three-month trip to South Africa during this COVID lockdown in Israel, and we had this great family adventure. And at a certain point, we weren't like, oh, no, but we can take that money and reinvest it and get the financial independence faster. It didn't We didn't need to hit it because we were so close. We were at the point where we were saying that if everything we had fell to pieces, we had enough passive income coming in that we'd be okay. Hmm. But we now got to the point of saying, wow, we've got this passive income coming in, but we're actually really like writing books and teaching courses and taking on coaching clients. And so we have no need to get rid of these income sources. So we don't have to like keep our spending super duper low so that we hit our goal. And then suddenly from one day to the next, we go from spending nothing to spending extravagantly. It's like, no, we were able to see, okay, we can actually start loosening the cords a bit knowing that we can always pull back if we need to. Mm. But it's interesting to see how our goals shifted a bit because we got so close to this goal. We said, okay, you know what? Our momentum is probably just going to carry us there anyway. We don't need to really slug away at it. We've gotten ourselves out of the debt. We've gotten ourselves to the place where we we're feeling pretty comfortable. We can really start shifting already and our goals have shifted and changed accordingly.
0: I love that point because it's it's not so much about the goal, but about who you become in the process, right? And, and the re-evaluations that c- happen constantly as we're working towards that. Um, that's where the beauty is, right? And having those conversations as a family, well, what's important? Well, family is the most important thing at the end of the day. It's not about that financial goal. So maybe our family right now needs three months in South Africa. And guess what? We can afford it. It doesn't mean that we're sacrificing our goal. Um, it means that thanks to having worked, we can do this now and we can really savor the experience. So to those listening, I could already see the questions in listeners' minds like, wait, 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 wait. I have the debt. I have the big house. I have the very, uh, tense conversations with my spouse. How to, and now we're talking about private equity, you know, focusing on one type of investing, which is, which is, by the way, and I want to go there at some point because, because really there is something to be said for focusing on one area to build wealth. Rather than, you know, just, um, kind of diversifying and I'm losing that, using that term loosely. But even before we get there, um, talk to us about the process because there's so much that goes into this. You know, when you say selling the house, not always can people sell the house and come out with some money from the house. Very often people have tons of credit card debt and, and no, no cash really. Like they're like, like they can't even, Lose their job because next month they won't be able to pay the mortgage. That's how how deep into this hamster wheel they are. So, what was going on in that regard? Was there credit card debt? Was there only the mortgage? What was happening?
1: So we were lucky enough to not have credit card debt. That wasn't really a thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really just the mortgage. So you knocked and out the. I, at a certain point, debt. we
2: did for my business.
1: Oh, that's right. Your business did. Yeah, have well, when the business when we true. were.
2: We were trying to keep up and the business, couldn't keep up with all the payments we had to make. Yeah, we we built up credit card debt too.
0: Yeah, I forgot about that. So you would say the first step for you guys was taking care of the business debt, making sure the business was profitable again, um, really running a leaner business. And that's a process that maybe took you, I don't know, half a year, a year, whatever it took you, and then focusing on getting rid of that mortgage, those mortgage payments.
2: So here's the thing. The mortgage payments actually weren't that bad. What was really bad for me is that we ran into such a hole with fixing up the house mm. and we had nowhere to get, you know, no bank would lend us the money on that. And I wound up turning to family for loans. And we felt really, really guilty about that. I knew it caused my family, some they helped us out, but it was financial stress there. That was actually much worse for me right. than ha- keeping up with the with a higher with a higher mortgage rate. Once the business had was doing better and I shifted things around there, we could have kept up with some strong monthly payments. But the fact that I felt the need to entirely be paying this off because I felt just so guilty that I was causing family financial stress cuz they came in to bail us out, that was a really much higher pressure thing. It got us to the point that for years, we spent no money on anything because every additional dollar we could spend would help relieve that kind of that pressure from family to be paying money back that was a very difficult thing emotionally and and
1: created a lot of tension between us also there was just like a lot of guilt and awkwardness and it it didn't feel good Um,
0: and i'm happy that you went there because i think this is something that happens so often and again it's not talked about right we get into the house but the house we didn't really get into the house we brought some other people into the house (laughs) (laughs) they're taking up a lot of space
2: (laughs) But It was a funny thing. Once we had this and once I had all of this guilt around the money that I owed my family, well, at that point I could be making money again. Here's what I mean. Going back to what I was saying at the beginning... When we were just making enough to get by and pay our expenses, we were doing great. The business was thriving. Mm -hmm. Once we were making a lot more than we needed, because I wasn't comfortable with having all this excess money and I started feeling greedy and I started feeling like, who am I to have all this money when so many people are struggling? Suddenly we made the business big and bloated Mm -hmm. and we got ourselves into lots of debt also with the house. Mm. Now I was okay making a lot of money. Psychologically, my my psychological beliefs that it was not okay for me to have a lot of money. Well, that wasn't stopping the business growth anymore. Because now the business money wasn't coming to me. It was going to pay back other people. So it wasn't leading to me having excess cash. So I was okay emotionally. Like I once we got into that place of being in debt, I was able to very quickly get the business doing really well again. Mm. Not well enough to get us out of debt all that fast because we just had, we'd acquired so much of it. But psychologically, it was like, okay, I gave myself permission again to be making a lot of money again because now I owed this money to somebody else. I'd gotten myself in a tough spot. Yeah. yeah. before I was in that tough spot and we had all this money coming in and we just did, felt uncomfortable with it. Well, that's when we actually tanked things.
0: Well, I think this is a very nuanced and important point because it just, so many of us can get into into that without even realizing and you didn't realize obviously which is why you're mentioning it right it's like okay so now the business is doing great there's that discomfort with this oh but we're gonna do the typical thing we'll buy the big house and so all the excess money is just gonna pay for the big house and now we gotta work on the house well i don't have that much cash flow to work on the house maybe my brother will lend me some money but i still have a pretty steady business so i'll be i'll be able to pay him back. And there's where the hamster wheel starts, right?
1: So one of the the challenges that I see that, you know, what Dave expressed is a challenge I see a lot in the clients that I work with and the young couples that we invite over is that people are comfortable making just enough to get by. Mm. And just enough to get by is a total figment of each individual's imagination. Mm -hmm. For someone living in sub-Saharan Africa, just enough to get by is enough to buy, you know, the the basket that you need to collect, you know, the water from the well a mile away. And, you know, and for another person, it's like they need a mansion. That's enough to get by. And so what happens is we, we're we making just enough to get by. And that works really well when you're a single person and you know what your expenses are. And then you get two single people and they come together and just enough to get by, they're fine. And then boom, you start adding children to that. And what used to be just enough to get by isn't enough to get by anymore, but their income hasn't gone up to, to accommodate, despite the fact that now one of them might not be working or is working half time, or they've hired someone to do childcare, and they have to live in a bigger place. So their expenses go up really fast. And I think for a lot of people, that's when the debt begins. Yeah, And yeah. a lot of it has to do with that mindset of how comfortable they are with money. And also, I noticed people aren't necessarily so creative with money and you can't be creative with something you're not comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about the person who can't sell their house, okay, well, can they chop it up into pieces and rent it out as apartments, even if it's just studio apartments? Can they take in boarders? Can they take in tenants? Could they rent out their house and go live in a small apartment? We had friends that did that. They were in financial straits. They rented out their house. They lived in a very small apartment until they got their finances back in order. There are so many different things that you can do, but you have to be willing to Not keep up with the Joneses or keep up some sort of presentation. And that really comes back to this conversation about talking about money. We have a friend who uh, does financially very well for himself. And he says all the time, like when we finally started talking to him about money, he was actually really happy to talk to us about money and all of the wisdom that he'd accumulated over the years. We happen to, as human beings, love to share the wisdom we've accumulated over the years, as Dave and I are relishing right now, right? And he said, no one ever comes to him to talk to him about money, despite the fact that he's so happy to share his knowledge. Mm. One day, his housekeeper came to him. And this is somebody living in the United States. His housekeeper came to him. She said, you know, I've been working for you for a number of years. I'd really like a raise. And he said, no. And she said, no. And he said, yeah, you know, you clean my house. I can find a million other people to do exactly what you do. You're not worth more than whatever, $10 an hour. I don't remember how much he's paying her. And he said, but I will do one thing for you. I will give you a financial education if you want one. Whenever you want to talk about money, I'm here. And she took him up on the offer. And over time, oh, no, no, it gets better. Because he said to her, how much money do you have? And she said, I have $75,000 US in the bank. This is a woman from Latin America. And he said, you see all the people in my neighborhood. Everyone's driving a Lexus and has a big fancy house. You're wealthier than the vast majority of them because they're all living on so much debt and she was shocked she could not have imagined such a thing long story short she made a whole bunch of investments in her hometown start, started buying apartments and renting them out started buying equipment renting it out and eventually she came to her boss one day and said i'm quitting i'm financially independent and i don't need this job anymore
0: wow yeah what a story what a story I mean, talk about you know, talk about a motivation. Like I was talking to a student the other day; she's having a hard time um charging more in her business and growing her business because she really doesn't, again, doesn't need the money because her husband's income is very high. I mean, you know it, it definitely covers their expenses, and they have they can invest and they can save, and there's not that sense of urgency. But I we t- I talked to her about like. What can drive you here to, you know, give to others, you know, sponsor others, give charity? Like, where is that motivation? And then we got—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. But I think just hearing that story of, you know, what can motivate some. Sometimes people can hear that story and say, "Wow, I want to be that person who can give that gift to others." But I have to become that person first, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I have to become that person who can give that knowledge. Now, let's go back to the you talked about investing, you even shared that story about that woman who started investing in her country for you investing in businesses has been the thing that you've become passionate about that you've seen um has really um given you a return but and we talked about you know the debt that you didn't have much debt to deal with in sense of like that that credit card debt. It was just family debt that you were able to, to handle at that point. What about the traditional stuff that we often talk about? And I know you're so familiar with, you know, like, well, you have to have some cash save up. You can't just take your first $10,000 and just put it in another company and not have anything, you know, you have to have some sort of cushion and, you know, are you investing maybe in the stock market and like diversified stuff that at least, you know, like it's, there growing. Like, how did you go about those He says, if at all.
2: So, first of all, when it comes to having some cash ready, yes, it's an absolute must. You never know when things are going to turn. We just experienced this with COVID. So many people saw their cash plummet overnight out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily need to have that cash sitting. And that's one of the things I teach. I have a financial fundamentals course. I'm right. very into that people should have a certain amount of cash they have access to. And by the way, it shouldn't be too much. You never want to yeah. have. No cash you can have, but you don't want to have more than, you want to have usually between three and six months cash is what people say. You have more than that and your money's just not working for you. But in my mind, that money doesn't have to be sitting at all. I know for us, one of our main sources of that is a line of credit that, mm. we've, that we have. And we can draw on this anytime we need it. So we've got the ability to pull cash. So we always have cash we have access to whenever there's an issue that we need, need it for. Our income was to drop. We have, you know, sources of cash coming in, but we don't have our money sitting and doing nothing. Mm. And that's a really important aspect. Um, Another thing you brought up in terms of diversification. So we are very diversified in terms of our investments. Nonetheless, we're diversified by owning shares of a lot of different businesses, a lot of different real estate projects. I actually really like things that have both aspects to them, things that are not just a rental apartment, but something that has the tax benefits of real estate because real estate has fabulous tax benefits but also is operated as, as a business mm. so we're involved for instance in some nursing home projects you know you buy the nursing home that's real estate so it depreciates but it's managed as a business and so it draws in a lot more income than say a housing unit does where people are just living in that you know all the services all the medical care is goes back to the bottom line mm. But we're diversified across a lot of different investments. And typically, I was just absolutely shocked when I learned the difference between the valuation of a public company, like on the stock market, and a valuation of a small private company. So for instance, my primary business, I actually sell cabinet hardware online. If I was to go sell my business, when I tried selling it, my business was worth between two and a half and three times my annual profits. But a public company can be worth easily 30 times its annual profits. Now, just think about that. As you know, if say a private business, a small business is making $100,000 a year, it might only be worth a quarter million. Mm-hmm. But a business that is working, making $100 million a year might be worth, you know, 30 times that, 50 times that, 100 times that. And the multiply, the, the multiples just go up so fast. Mm-hmm. Which means as an investor, you want to be on the flip side of that. In other words, if you were able to buy a small business, at you could get basically a 40% return the first year. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were to invest in a public company, like on the stock market, because they give such small returns, they, 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 every dollar they make, the, the valuation goes goes nuts the returns are much much smaller
0: right also you're you're putting a less much much less amount into that business so yeah you're you're buying a tiny 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 percentage of a public company whereas you could buy a bigger chunk or or invest a much bigger percentage into a private company
1: that being said we we are invested in the stock market um just not as much as as our other things so we put in the maximum that we're allowed every single year into a Roth IRA and Thank God Dave's mom is amazing with like the stock market and she thinks it is so fun. And so we've just asked her if she would just manage our portfolio for us. So all of that is just, you know, under her management. But if she wasn't available to manage our our stock portfolio, we would put every single penny of our stock portfolio into a Vanguard, you know, S&P 500 index fund, you know, really simple. Nobody's managing it simple, simple thing. And we'd constantly just be having money flowing from our bank account into that. And that's money that you can access. You know, you can pull that money out if you need to. It's not as liquid as, let's say, a line of credit, but it's definitely part of our portfolio, just not as much as these businesses because something about the stock market for me feels like gambling. It feels Mm. kind of random. The valuations of businesses are all over the place. But with these kinds of businesses, it's much more stable. We can look at the numbers. We understand the numbers. They're much more consistent. And, um, and it's exciting to be a part of a business in what feels like a real way. We actually own a chunk of a business, which is really exciting.
2: Yeah, I love boring businesses. I love investing. <laughs> the, the more boring the business, the better. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to get invested in the most exciting thing. I know my son is a huge Tesla fan. and He's made a ton of money as Tesla has gone through the roof on there, but if you actually look at the underlying mm-hmm. value of a, of a Tesla, you know, it's P ratio, it's profits, earn rings ratio. It's a, is astronomical.
1: It's like 400 or something insane like that.
2: It's yeah, exactly. It's a you know, hundred times more than mm-hmm. a small business
1: mm-hmm. would
2: be because of this mm-hmm. belief in how just exciting it is. So we like things that are really, really boring and predictably profitable
0: yeah yeah little cash cows well look at your business i'm sorry but not, hardware online it's like brilliant it's a it's a little cash cow it's lean just knobs.com you know no bells and whistles it's not sexy it does what it needs to do <laughs> it provides knobs.co
1: by the way oh, if anybody's looking to <laughs> buy knobs <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, and I and I love that. So, Dave, you mentioned the three to six months, you know, that typical, you know, benchmark for our, our cash that you know we should have access to. But you did mention that line of credit. I just want to clarify: you're not saying, in your case, that they're mutually exclusive—that you opted not to have a cash cushion and just to have a line of credit option, or or is that what you did? That's what we did. Okay, so that's actually, one. I,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as long as we as long as we can access the money, I saw no need to have. Money sitting there. If mm-hmm. I was to look at my bank account and see that there's a whole chunk of money sitting there, you know, to me, why? There's you got almost no return whatsoever on on a savings account. It's so incredibly minimal. Right. As right. Long as, as, long long as, get, as long as you're
0: making some, I can get money when I need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And possibly that the return you're making on this money. In the meantime is anyway higher than whatever you're going to, you're going to be paying for the, for the line of credit. If you take the money. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so at what point for listeners, at what point do we say, yeah, you know, I'm ready to use my next $10,000, $20,000, $100,000 to, delve into some project realist, whether it be real estate or business investing. And and what I mean is, you know, and I know you've worked with a lot of people. Um, Would you say, listen, um, have you saved enough for whatever a person's goals are? They maybe need to be putting their kids to college. Do they need to marry off children? Like, what are some things that you would say to people, do this first before you do this? Or is there no Order, is there a system here? Is there an ideal order for you guys?
2: So I have two responses to that. Mm -hmm. One, never ever wait to invest. Mm. This was actually one of the big problems we had when we were starting off and we had all this money coming in and we didn't know what to do with it because we had no education. It was just sitting and accumulating. And really, money burns a hole in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't get easier to learn about investment when you've got a million dollars sitting around there than when you've got $20 sitting out there. Mm. So we encourage people to start investing as soon as possible. It's going to get easier over time. So if you have a very little bit of money that you can invest, invest that because mm-hmm. it's just going to get it's going to get the momentum building and it's not going to be a block. The money we had sitting in our bank account because we didn't know how to invest it literally was a block to making more money.
0: Wow. Because the
2: more money we got in, the more stress This money was causing us that we didn't know how to invest it well. Hmm. You know, if it was 20 bucks sitting in the bank account, we wouldn't have been stressed about it. But as you know, it became tens of thousands of dollars. We're like, we should be investing it. We don't know how to do it. So I encourage people, one, invest as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Two, get yourself an education. Hmm. A lot of these things we're talking about right now, they're not the types of things you want to get your education through falling on your face with. You don't want to be an education through private equity deals and go into the wrong one and, you know, lose that money potentially. Right. So right. really start l- the learning process as soon as possible. Start investing money in very safe things like kind of mentioned index funds like the S&P 500. You can start that immediately. It's a good, safe area. It already builds up momentum, but get yourself a strong education.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so something I was going to say is like a total, like a look like an analogy to a different area of life. When our son was two and a half, that was the first time I put a knife in his hand. I think actually his preschool put a knife in his hands, and I was like, Oh, if they can do it, I can do it. And then it was, it was great. And he started cutting up vegetables. Mm-hmm. Now he's almost 17 and he chops vegetables like a ninja. You know, he's yeah. like <sighs> with the, you know, with the, with the chef's knife, like boom, 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 boom. I could just ask him to make dinner and he will. Mm. And you don't just walk into a kitchen and know how to make dinner. First, you have to pick up a knife and use it and mess up and cut yourself. And you cut yourself a few times at the beginning. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're three or if you're 30, you are going to make mistakes and you're going to do it wrong and you're going to fumble all over yourself. The thing is, when you're three, you heal much faster. So I would say the same thing about the $20 versus the you know million dollars. If you mess up with $20, so you mess up with $20, big whoop. When you mess up with a million dollars, it's so much more painful. So if you start investing with the little bits that you have, knowing that no matter when you start, you're going to make mistakes and there are things you're going to learn the hard way, no matter how much research and how much education you get, there's just a certain amount of savvy that comes through life experience that cannot be replaced by just reading books. Hmm. So that's like a, like a, a, an added piece that I would say. It's also something we say about giving to charity. People wait until they're wealthy to give to charity. And it's like, no, you make your first $10 on your lemonade sand, give a dollar or $2 away to charity. Absolutely. You, you get in the habit of investing in the same way that you get in the habit of giving to charity. It just becomes part of your mindset.
0: Absolutely. And I totally agree with that. And I think, I think, you know, Yes. I mean I couldn't have you couldn't have said it better, but but then there's the question. Okay, so with twenty dollars, right? So every month I could put twenty dollars in the stock market. No problem. Easy, you know, it's grow it's gonna grow over time. And then maybe in a couple of months I'll 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 increase it to fifty and then it'll be a hundred dollars, depending on, you know. Um, but then the question is when we talk to Hannah and Dave about private equity investing, investing in real estate, investing in businesses, I must have had a savings pattern to get to a point to put my first 10K, 30K, 60K, you know, there has to be some amount more significant than $20. And that is a process in and of itself.
1: I mean, yes and no. In a way, if all you're doing is putting into an S&P 500 index fund, and you you keep doing that with $20, over time, that fund is going to have $10,000 in it. And then you can say, hey, I have $10,000 to invest in private equity. Like it's not like you have to have money sitting in the bank. There you go. And and the idea of, you know, oh, having money sitting, doing nothing for my kids' weddings. I'm like, no, you have your money growing for you. And and when your kids get married, your passive income from your investments should ideally pay for that wedding. And if it can't, so maybe you sell some of those private equity investments or you sell some of your stock portfolio to pay for that wedding, whatever it is.
0: Exactly. And I'm glad we clarified that because this is an important point. Just because you want to get to a more sophisticated investment doesn't mean you have to w- waste sort of, I'm using air quotes here, all that time of compounding that could be happening as you're building up to that bigger investment with a potential greater return than maybe the stock market will give you.
2: Exactly. And to Hannah's point about children and weddings, you know, I remember hearing from one investor who every time he had a child, he bought an investment property, mm. knowing that, okay, you you'd buy a place and put it on, say, a 15-year mortgage. And by the time this kid turned 18, the property would be owned full and clear, just paid off by the, by the rent that it was bringing in. And that was instead of putting some money into a college fund and having yeah. to grow whatever, you just own an entire property. And that property could be the cash cow paying for college, paying for weddings, paying for whatever that kid needed. So every kid that was born, there was a, a property that was bought and would be p- paid off by its own income during that kid's childhood.
0: Mm. That's really cool. I, like I that. love that. I, I like that so much. Now, let's talk about, you talked about education, Kana. I think it was you, Hannah who said, like, you have, or maybe it was Dave, you have to learn about these things. Um, so people are probably wondering, okay, so where do I start learning? And I know you guys have resources. So talk, talk to us about your different resources that you offer, that you help people um, through the process of learning.
1: So there are two things that I would say are just great starter points for people. One is the cash machine in the book, which we've been talking yes. about a lot because it's such a fun read and it's such a great conversation opener. And the other is the money mindset challenge. Money mindset challenge is uh, something that we created as a product of just working with so many people and talking to so many people and noticing that there were just patterns that for, for so many of us, like the idea of even thinking about learning about investments makes so many people freeze because their mindset doesn't even let them believe that learning is possible. Hmm. Even though they're like really highly educated, smart people, Right? you know, a lot of the Jews living in Jerusalem, they're really intelligent people, but you start talking about money and they just turn to jello. So Mm -hmm. working on your mindset just creates a space for you to then have an like a file folder in your brain that's capable of receiving an education about money. So I think those two things going together, Money Mindset Madness, it's super affordable. We made it really fun. We packed it with cartoons and with stories. Every single lesson has a story in it because we're super passionate about story. And we made it really fun and accessible. And we help people... Identify the beliefs that are blocking them from moving forward financially and learn how to reverse those. And then also learn core financial principles and and mindsets that really help wealthy people build wealth. Mm.
0: I love that. I love that. And I know, Dave, you also run a program, right, on the financial fundamentals. You mentioned it
2: earlier. Right. So financial fundamentals is much more when you're ready for a deep dive. You've gone through and said, okay, I know that I want to work on getting my money stuff right. And okay, now I'm ready for the content. Now, now pour it in. So it goes through a lot of the same lessons, truthfully, that are in the cash machine, but really much more in-depth. The cash machine, all the lessons have to be a little bit buried because this isn't a dry...
0: We got to get you to read about this stuff, right? It's It's a story. It's a love story. Like there's only so
1: much finance you could talk about in a love story. It's brilliant. It's
0: brilliant.
2: And so, you know, we, we wanted this to be a page turner. We wanted the book to appeal to people who would never go into the finance section of Barnes and Nobles and pull a book off the shelf. And they'd be incredibly intimidated by that. Um, mm. So lessons are buried here and there throughout the story. And they, they come across kind of naturally in the story. But this is financial fundamentals to say, OK, you're ready to get yourself a real education. Let's go step by step through all these different areas of expenditures, see where you can be spending less and having more money to be investing. Now, now, let's talk about investment vehicles. Where can you be putting that money to be getting strong returns? And it is not meant to be a super advanced. There's all kinds of investment techniques that are that I wouldn't even touch that are super advanced. And there's some that I, we're involved in that I wouldn't necessarily give to to somebody who's, who's starting out. That's why it's fundamentals. It's mm-hmm. meant to be things that anybody can take and start implementing right away. And then later, people can go in and research, okay, I want to go into derivatives, options, whatever other area is out there. But it looks at, okay, this is what real estate options are going to be versus stock market options. Just goes through the fundamentals point by point. Mm
0: -hmm. Talk to us about the day-to-day mason couple when it comes to money in terms of how do you keep each other accountable how do you create new goals for yourselves and you know just how did the how does the dynamic work that's
1: really interesting because when it comes to the day-to-day we actually haven't changed so much Mm. we're a little bit um It's embarrassing to say because we should be these like super organized people when it comes to money because we teach so many people about money. But when people come to us and say, how do I keep a budget? We're like, oh, because we don't really keep a budget. What happens is that naturally the both of us tend to lean on the frugal side. And so we splurge on organic produce. We Mm. eat a whole food plant-based diet, which by nature is pretty cheap. Um, We don't eat out. We don't drink. We don't party. We don't go to events like our life is, oh, we don't own a car. We rent a very affordable apartment. So it's just like our lifestyle is so inexpensive that for us, a splurge is like buying asparagus and the really fancy mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And those expenses are so minimal. like We don't even buy coffee. So those expenses are so minimal that it just, it just doesn't matter that much at the end of the month. So we don't tend to talk about money as far as like day-to-day expenses, Um but we do talk about investments and we do talk about how we're building our future. And that tends to come up a lot. Um, so w- one conversation that you know, keeps bubbling up to the surface and then going back down is me saying, I really want to own a home. And then we look at the numbers and we're just like for us in Jerusalem, the way the numbers work, we're just so much better off renting. And so then we go back to normal da, 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 you know, that it comes back again. And I, and I'm aware of the fact that this is an emotional conversation rather than a logical conversation. Right. And that makes it, and because we're so open, we can, we can just be aware of that.
0: Right. 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 And I, and I, and I like that you said that because I honestly, I also, I don't, I don't have a budget. I mean, after I got out of debt, thankfully, I mean, I did, I do believe that if you're in debt, like you got to just get yourself in a budget and get out of that debt. Right. But after I did that, We don't really have a strict budget, but what we do do is we are so in touch with the cash flow. Like we know what's coming in and where it needs to go. And then and then whatever is the let's say extra, where do we want it to go, right? So it's not like we have these line items where you have this much to spend here and that much to spend there, but it's just a very conscious sense of what money's coming in, what money needs to go out. It needs to go to this goal, to that goal, to that purpose, right? So um, that you know, I think everybody has to find what works for them. But the underlying principle is that we need to be talking about these things, you know. And, and you said we're talking about. The investment, what's happening and, you know, what's the next thing? So talking about ne- the next thing, um, as entrepreneurs and as, um, you know, business owners, we often, and I know Hannah and I have talked about this privately before, you know, the, the old ceiling becomes the new floor and then there's a new ceiling, right? There's a <laughs> new frontier to cross. Um, what are you guys feeling now as the new, let's say financial frontier or this, the new area that you're being called to growth, you know, where you're starting to feel the resistance, but you have to go there. Wh- where do you see yourselves?
1: Oh, for sure. In, um, Investing in business businesses in a more serious way. What, what do you mean as, by
0: serious? With more like capital, either
1: seed investments, venture capital, um, um, buying, right. buying, acquiring businesses and 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 cleaning them up. That's kind of more the direction we're going. I think.
2: Mm. Yeah, a, a lot. Really, just the last couple of weeks, I've actually put a lot of energy into looking at how you can acquire real estate or businesses without needing a ton of money. Mm. That's one of the big issues is people usually expect they need a lot of money to be getting into various deals. But if you stop and think creatively, there are often ways of getting into deals without needing a giant amount of capital to get into that. And I've been studying people who have been doing it successfully. Interestingly enough, a lot of it comes from being a good listener. Mm. I'm hearing this come up over and over again, that very often somebody is selling a business or property because there's something that is not working for them. And if you can actually stop and listen to what that is and come up with a solution that answers their problem, then you don't necessarily need to have all this money up front. You're still going to be paying them that money, but it could be structured somewhat differently. So for instance, if somebody owns a property and they own it outright Mm -hmm. and they've got a reason they want to be, they want to be getting, getting rid of it. Well, Maybe they don't need the entire amount upfront. Maybe they actually like the idea of having very strong monthly income coming in. Maybe they'll, they'll actually be the bank and give seller financing to it. That's just one of many, many examples of how people are able able to find deals without needing a lot of money. Or Mm -hmm. maybe there's an aspect you can add to the business and be going in and help making it, help making it stronger. And the business earnings themselves can actually be buying out the person who wants to retire or You see this a lot with somebody passes away and the heirs don't really know how to run the business and there's a business in crisis. Okay, you're able to step into that business. You're able to make it more successful and the business success is able to be the buyout. So you don't need a big wad of cash necessarily to get in in the beginning. So I've been looking at a lot of these different ways of how do people acquire properties, businesses without just needing a ton of cash. And if you can be getting into businesses or be getting into real estate, without needing all this money up front, then your growth is really just, there isn't so much of a ceiling towards that growth.
0: And I love that answer. It goes back to what your wife said about the creativity, right? The create, you know, and, and I, when you were saying that, Hannah, I thought about also your work with hold that thought and all the mindset work that you do, that when we're really stressed, we can't be very creative. We're automatically, you know, got into that tunnel vision, <laughs>
1: Exactly. One of the things that I've noticed is, you know, goes together hand in hand. Safety breeds creativity and play. Mm. And creativity and play are where all growth comes from. Yes. Our personal growth, our spiritual growth, our financial growth. And, and for me, really, the, the past month, I've really gained an insight into how much money is simply energy. Yes. It's just pure divine energy. And if you can tap into it that way, it's like you become you can become like a major pipeline of light and energy. Mm -hmm. But if you associate money with darkness, so you miss out on the opportunity of how much light you can bring into the world through the wealth that you build and also through the wealth that you contribute. and. And because you make yourself small so that you don 't receive so much of that financial light, you unfortunately don 't get to have so much impact
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the reality is that wealth allows for impact, and if you want to be somebody who impacts the world in a really big way, you 've got to make yourself comfortable with having a lot of cash flow running through your system
0: mm-hmm. beautifully said, beautifully said, one of the things that stands out from this conversation is the alignment uh, between both of you. You mentioned that you're both more on the frugal side. You also both evidently love business and love geeking out on these things. You love real estate. Um But one who might be listening might say, but I mean, I don't understand my husband's into real estate or I'm into real estate, but my husband's not, or I like, you know, there's not always, you don't always find that within a couple, there is that much alignment or I love to spend, or he loves to spend, I'm more frugal. So was this always the case or or there was there some navigating that happened where you both kind of became more like each other and if he was always the case, how do you suggest couples could navigate this?
2: I think it goes back to what we were saying about learning and communicating. Mm. You know a lot of our financial stress, like we said, came from really being misaligned, and so we started learning together, getting education together and implementing things together. Mm. You know, do either of us love real estate? I'm not really i, I I don't think we're that excited about real estate, but really saw,
1: excited about making money, but
2: we, yeah. <laughs> we, we saw how much marital stress it caused being in debt. And we started realizing, you know what? We'd get really excited about things that could help us get out of debt and be able to finance the future we want, you know, living here in Israel, being able to you know, give charity, help our son, be part of our members of our community, write books. have a big Shabbat table, write our books. You know, these are sort of the visions that we had. So a lot of the things we're investing in really are not that exciting. What's exciting to us is our vision for our lives that are being fueled by that. And it's been brainstorming that together and planning together and researching and getting education together. That's really brought us into alignment.
0: And thank okay. you for that answer. I I really appreciate it because it just says, get so clear with your spouse on the why. And I bet you when you start having those conversations, even if you're completely different, because you have a love relationship, because you love each other, because you empathize, we you you start understanding each other, you can come to a very strong why that drives both of you.
1: And we also compartmentalize things. There's certain aspects that Dave's more interested in certain aspects that I'm more interested in my Hebrew stronger. So I deal with all of our Israeli finances, he deals with all the American finances. You know, we definitely compartmentalize because sometimes it's silly for both people to become full experts in in everything. Um. But being on the same page is really helpful. And we both came into our marriage into business. That's something that we both walked in the door with. So that, that was really helpful because it's something that we care about. But if we weren't into business, we would just be putting money into, you know, like I said before, the S and P 500 index fund and keeping it really simple. And we know so many people who do that, who gain financial independence in their early thirties or late twenties. Like it's totally doable, not on fancy jobs. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just,
2: you won't do that from the S and P 500. The, the, all the people I, I, I've spoken to, who by the way, who did get themselves to the financial independence in their 20s, they were all in the real estate area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
1: true. So one, one thing for us was being willing to humble ourselves to a lower standard of living than yeah. we had before. So we went from living in a big fancy house in Jerusalem to moving to the Golan Heights, where we s- lived in a small house that was owned by the Moshav that we lived in. And our rent was $250 a month. Whoa. Yeah. And we majorly downsized our lives so that we could more easily pay down our debts and making choices like that. Just, it helps, you know, it helps to say like, I'm willing to give up my, you know, the second car. I'm willing to To live in a smaller place and you don't need so like a fancy education to do that. You just have to be willing to make difficult choices. And one of those difficult choices might be, I'm going to buckle down and sit down and learn some math and learn, you know, read some finance books, even though it's not exciting because it will make space for the things in my life that are exciting. Yes. Yes. You know, South Africa is a product of us buckling down and getting a boring education. (laughs)
0: And it's like, but South (laughs) Africa was so cool. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It goes back to that having that clear why, right? As the motivator behind everything and getting so clear on what are your values as a family. Um, and as a couple and, and you use the word brainstorming, coming regularly to the table to talk about these things, say, wait, is this really what we want? Like my husband and I were having a conversation yesterday because we just finished a boss mitzvah. Okay. What's the next thing? Like, what's the really exciting thing that we're working towards? Right. And these are important conversations to, to have. Otherwise you just go through the motions and the money just goes and goes. Is it going to where you want it to go? Is it growing in the way you want it to grow? Is it going to fund the things that you want it to fund? All right, guys, let's wrap it up with what I call Jewish money matters, fill in the blanks. And you both get to answer. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a part of the show where I'm going to give you an open-ended statement and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right. All right. Let's start with Hana. When I give meiser or tzedakah, I like to give to...
1: Love to give to Leckitt's an organization that um they they how do you say Leckett? They they glean behind the farmers Mm -hmm. and collect all that extra food and they also go to restaurants and collect leftover food. Um so to Leckitt and to Crossroads, which is an organization that helps uh Anglo at risk teens. Been sitting on the board of that organization for the past like 17 years. So Wow. Yeah. What
0: about you, Dave?
2: I like to give to everyone. Mm. And that's one of the points we talk about a lot with with Sadaka is that there's kind of our big chunks that we give to things like Leket. There's an organization I give a lot to called Siva, which actually helps people who are blind for about $50. You can actually reverse blindness for certain causes of blindness in the third world. And so it gives sight to the blind for a really low amount of money. So I give a lot there. But there's something about giving to each and every person you pass on the street, who's asking, and we go to the shook, there's always people asking Yes, the very active, even though it's small amounts, even though it's, you know, two shekels here, two shekels there, it's giving to everyone. It trains you to be a giver. Oh, and it, it says that I'm not going to walk past you and ignore you. I'm going to, I see you, I'm going to make eye contact with you. And it, Makes those connections and makes people know that like people do care, and the emotional impact of giving to everyone I think is huge. So I want to put that out there.
0: You know, I got chills when you said that because I'm very big on this. I'm like the nerd who will always lower the window and like, even though the red the light already turned green, I'm like scrambling through my wallet and the and I'm giving and 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 that just that interaction with this random stranger, and sometimes it's the most beautiful interaction where he says, "God bless you," and I say, "God bless you too." Have a blessed day. I mean. It's priceless. It's just so important. And by the way, our kids are watching. Mm-hmm. So-, <laughs> so, yes, I, I, I really am with you guys on that. All right. I'd like to make more money because. Because I have a
1: desire to sit on lots of different boards and have lots of impact. <laughs> We've talked about this my whole marriage. Um and also, I have so many people I want to meet and places I want to see. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dave?
2: I would like to buy my wife a house again. that's that's part of it. We did That was a big thing for her getting that house, and we did lose that house because of our whole dead debt, debt aspect. And I also really like to get our teachings out to the world. I'd like to be yeah. creating a space where people can be coming in and, and learning. And you know what? Money can really help us take what we've done and take our, take our books and really launch them in a much bigger way.
0: For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. Something I wish I'd learn about money growing up is
1: that it's not taboo, that it's good to talk about, that, um, you can't learn about it in
2: school. That if you accumulate it early, you'll buy yourself incredible amounts of freedom later in your life.
0: Mm. Money, spiritual or physical? Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yes to both (laughs) (laughs) it's a physical manifestation of spiritual ideas and I actually think over time it's becoming more and more spiritual because most of our transactions don't even involve actually touching money oh
0: nice yeah right right. what do you say Dave
2: look I've been so into endofiomium and it's like it is so clear like the rain in there is parnasa and it is so clear that it is all minishimayim translate all that that translate all that it's for, it's a ju- 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 yes, uh, so it is very much hitting this lesson over and over again it's that that it comes down very very spiritually yeah and and that it's it can be a real source of blessing
0: mm-hmm. something i splurge on unapologetically is i know you're not splurgers, but come on asparagus please <laughs> barefoot shoes ah i'm into that too recently
1: Yes. I just bought really, really nice barefoot boots, went all the way to Tel Aviv to get them. Very excited.
2: <laughs> I, I'd actually thought you were going to go with, I'll, I'll say say this one, having someone come into the house and help out with dishes and kitchen prep uh-huh. and take certain tasks that just take a lot of time off our plates so we can be devoting ourselves to things that we really want to be accomplishing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, nice. All right. Hannah, spender or saver or investor? What, what do you choose? Investor. Yeah. What about, what about you, Dave? Oh,
2: such an investor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it sounds like you were never spenders, right? Like it was not, you know, part of your natures from the get-go. No, the, the, We the, were the, lose that, moneyers.
2: <laughs> the, 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 right after college, I backpacked around the world. And it was my goal to keep myself under $5 a day. I was hitchhiking oh, through like God. these 3rd world countries. Like, no, I was definitely not a spender at all. The only time oh. we really spent big was with the house. And we really got suckered into kind of that. Yeah. It was very, it was a very... Poor, Poor
0: choice. choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm very, I'm very interesting because I really have a spender tendency, but I've always been an investor. So I've always like, I've always hidden money from myself. So I won't spend <laughs> it and I just <laughs> make it <for> <laughs> Don't touch it. Yeah. I'll. All right. Today I'm most grateful for,
1: um, in this moment, I'm most grateful for this type of conversation. And the Mm. ease and the play and the laughter and the connection that's happening here around a topic that used to cause us so much pain that, that it's turned into something that we use to bring light into the world. It's really
2: Beautiful. Cool. I think I'm most grateful for the freedom that allows me to, to learn and grow and teach and just spend so much of my days exploring and mm. getting more knowledge and finding ways to teach them.
0: Beautiful. And finally, um, Hannah Mason, and I believe Jewish money matters because I'm Hannah Mason, and I believe Jewish money matters
1: because the Jewish people have uh, a mission to be a light amongst the nations. And part of how we do that is by bringing so much beauty and wealth and abundance and teachings and knowledge and just glowing it out into the world unapologetically.
0: Mm, Dave, I believe Jewish Money Matters because?
2: I'm Dave Mason, and I believe Jewish Money Matters because I see so many people dedicating so much of their time just trying to get enough to get by in work that doesn't light them up. Mm. And if they're able to fix their money matters, they're able to really dedicate themselves towards the Growth into the life that they really want to have.
0: Amen to that. Beautiful guys, this was so much fun. Keep up the awesome work. Tell us where we can find you. Let's get that book into people's hands. Let's get people in that 21-day challenge that's gonna change them and take them to the next level. Tell us where we can grab all that.
2: So the cash machine, your digital copies to anyone who wants. At Wow, buildmycashmachine.com. Buildmycashmachine.com, and from there you can go to moneymindsetmadness.com and find out about. The challenge. Here's I'm the sure you'll
0: put links in the show notes. Absolutely. We'll make sure that everybody has that. Thank you so much, guys. This was really a pleasure. Keep up the awesome work. Thank, Thank you, so you so much. much. Thanks to Hannah and Dave Mason for stopping by. Head over to buildmycashmachine.com to get a free download of the novel, The Cash Machine, a really, really good read. You can also grab that book on Amazon. I love this conversation and I hope you enjoyed it too I thank you so much for taking the time to be here be sure to send in your money business or life questions for our Friday Ask Yael episodes you can DM me on Instagram or you can send me a voice note or text message via WhatsApp at 832-317-6778 you can also email me at yael at com. and of course if you have anyone that you'd like to see me interview on the show let me know we might make that happen have a great week and your Jewish money matters.